HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. everyone. Welcome to Eat Your Words. I'm your host today, Brianna Kurtz. It is almost September, folks, so that means this is our last installment of Eat Your Words for the summer season. I can't believe it. But at the same time, I'm thrilled about this episode because all summer long, we've been buzzing about food books, but today we get to refocus the lens of food and print on food, food signs, which I really hate that contraction, so I'm going to say uh, food mags. And to help talk about food mags with me, I am joined by James Casey, the founder and creative director of Swallow Magazine. Hi, James. Hi there. So I've really been struggling with where to start with you. Um, I feel like there's many directions we can come at this from. So I'm kind of going to start at the top. I'm going to intro Swallow, and you can uh, jump in and correct me or elaborate wherever <laughs> wherever Absolutely. you need to. So. Self-described, Swallow Magazine is the anti-foodie food magazine, a palate-pleasing respite from gastronomic fatism. Each issue is akin to the perfect dinner party where the food is central to the event, but the conversation veers wildly around the table from topic to topic before eventually returning to the procession of morsels at hand, which might sound familiar because it's from your website. <laughs> yep, I recognize that, yep. <laughs> and um, Swallow's first edition, the Nordic issue, came out in 2009, and you've since released two others, the Trans-Siberian and Mexico City. Yeah, we're gloriously um, inconsistent. <laughs> so I, I heard you grew up overseas, mm-hmm. and how do you choose uh, these locations? Um, each location doesn't necessarily sort of come that quickly the first one was um it sort of preceded the whole sort of rise of this new nordic moment and um i had a friend who had gone to visit denmark and just said there's something interesting afoot there not really sure what it is um but take a look and we did a little bit more research and there was a sort of an inkling that something was about to happen but it was pre anything happened so i mean noma had been around for a couple of years um and there are a couple of other things there, but you wouldn't even call it a scene. It was really just a loose handful of people doing something that seemed to sort of be very different to what we were used to, at least over here in New York or in other parts of Europe. 
And what... Well, actually, let me go back there, I, I think. You know, and then the Trans-Siberian issue really was just a sort of personal, you know, interest of mine. I've been a long sort of standing Russophile. And the idea initially was to take the Trans-Siberian train sort of almost as like an adventure vacation um, whilst thinking about what the next issue would be about. Um, but then it was sort of like, well, if I'm going to be on that train, then why don't we do something about that train? And that sort of eventually became the framework for the issue, which was using the points along the route of the Trans-Siberian as a sort of guiding focus. So we've sort of, it's interesting because we've also gone from doing a region like Scandinavia, mm -hmm. then traversing a continent, uh, effectively Russia, you know, from Europe all the way to Beijing on the Trans-Siberian, Trans-Mongolian. And then we focused most recently on a city. Right. So we've sort of gone in sort of wildly different scales. Um, the next issue we're working on is on the East Village. So yeah, and I, I picked up on that, and I was I wanted you to talk about that kind of development of that kind of broad geographic landscape to a city and now to a neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the problem with, you know, we, we did the Mexico City issue, and the problem with that was that when dealing with even just a city you could fill 12 magazines 12 times over um so you are always limited by the amount you can do even if you're doing a neighborhood so when you do something as such broad strokes it would be the mexico issue for example which we didn't do which was where we started off thinking about mexico city um we just realized that there's too much there so it would be just such a small view um and i think that the idea with this east village issue is that we still have so much to report on, so we still have to edit ourselves down. And I think that process of giving ourselves a smaller sort of catchment area, but you know, allowing ourselves a bigger range is quite exciting, at least when putting a magazine together. And when, when about is that going to be available? Um, we're working on it at the moment. Um, there's a team of photographers, myself, writers who have done and doing things. But as I said, we're sort of gloriously inconsistent as to when we do it. But it would be ideal to have it sort of come out sometime before Christmas. And why the um, East Village, if like it could have been Astoria or the West Village? Or... Because I think that, uh, and this is obviously slightly controversial, but I think that New York is not necessarily what New York once was, and it seems to be sort of living on a sort of borrowed identity of itself, especially the East Village, which sort of remains sort of resolutely countercultural whilst having sort of lost that ghost a long time ago. So I think that there's something interesting there because whilst on the surface the East Village has changed a lot, underneath there's still something that remains of the old. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also, it's sort of a creative exercise in that we live in the most media-scrutinized city in the world and the East Village is perhaps one of the most scrutinized neighborhoods in the city. So by that very nature, to tell unique and interesting stories is a challenge in itself. I'll be really interested to see how you um, pull that together, because I think one thing that Swallow does is kind of, it doesn't really consider a place in a vacuum. Like, you consider the whole kind of food ecosystem, which includes, like, history and art and people and events. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, one of the things we say about the magazine is that it's not necessarily a magazine about that tells stories about food. We use food as a way to tell stories about people and places. Yeah. Um, kind of with this 2020 vision in 2014 and in the present, it really looks like 2009 was the ground floor um, in some ways with 
um, independent food mags. Um, you know, Lucky Peach didn't come out till the summer of 2011. Mm-hmm. I think Full was 2012. And there's there's plenty of other, you know, kind of coming out that time. And there's still more and more every day now. Absolutely. Um, so where did you come from on this? What was your background? And where did you kind of get... I mean, you said you had a friend that went to Denmark. And I was like, wow, there's some stuff going on here. And you were like, okay, let's make a magazine about it. Like, how did that happen? No, uh, so uh, basically the inception for Swallow has gone back as long as, say, 2003. Um, I've, my background is in editorial. I was a creative director and an art director before that at magazines. Um, I've worked at sort of commercial magazines, Condé Nast magazines as such. And um, so I, I had always wanted to do a food magazine uh, in the sort of a la the vein of Swallow. But from 2003, three, say, to 2007, it was really just what will that magazine be? Um, at some point in 2006, I believe, we went on a trip to Portugal to shoot some stuff. But basically, after gathering all of this information, there wasn't a sort of clear way to hem it all together. So the geographical location seemed to be the best way to put something together because you could just take a a three-week trip somewhere in your vacation time with a photographer and with a writer, and you could effectively hem together the loose parts of a magazine after having made contacts in these places and wherever, then you could actually get back in touch with other people in those places and really put it together. Um, So trying to work out what that region would be for the first one took a while and Scandinavia at that time was just such a sort of unlikely location to feature I mean now you wouldn't think so but mm-hmm. at that time we were talking about you know the sort of the ascent or the dominance of Spain uh, mm. culinarily and I mean you know Scandinavia was just this sort of strange northern outpost I think it's interesting to kind of have that as a um, like a time capsule in a sense um, before it really was what it is now. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, and I was just, I was just there a couple of weeks ago and it's completely changed. I haven't been back to Denmark since we worked on that issue. And it really is a completely different city culinarily, well, at least about that. Um, zooming out a little bit, being that, you know, you said this kind of Genesis was in 2000 and as far back as 2003, what's your take on the food magazine landscape now? Um, I'm not necessarily the best person to ask cause I think I'm fairly critical. Uh, (laughs) There are some great independent food magazines out there. Um, Lucky Peach, for one, I think that they consistently do really good, unique, interesting articles. Um, But for the most part, I think that we reach this moment where sort of mainstream food press, a la Gourmet or Bon Appetit, there was, you know, there was a real sort of shakeup in that industry. And Gourmet is no longer with us. Bon Appetit's a very different looking magazine now than what it was. And in that vacuum when, you know, these food, these sort of large mainstream food magazines weren't that dominant, uh, one would have hoped that at least the independent food media would step up and try and do something interesting. But I think what's happened is, I think, in the absence of certain other magazines, independent food mag- like media has done the same sort of lifestyle schlock that we were looking at before. Um, and then conversely, you look at other magazines like Bon Appetit, and they've kind of moved to, war of a, to more of an independent food media sort of look in themselves they skew younger um and i think that you know for what it's worth i think bon appetit is far more interesting than most of these independent ones trying to look like that and how does swallow continue to kind of push the envelope on the offering and um kind of not become um antiquated in that sense well i think we don't we don't necessarily work with the same people who work with a lot of these other magazines we don't work with food photographers we work with one uh, Marcus Nilsson. Uh, other than that, everyone comes from an art background, a fashion background. Same with the writers. We don't work with lifestyle food writers. 
we work with people who have more of a background within you know literature or elsewhere you know less lifestyle i think on our part and more sort of storytelling and what is the kind of arc of um i I think (coughs) you use the word inconsistent but it's been five years and there's three editions Mm -hmm. um is swallow gonna keep is you know keep moving forward or is it gonna take on a new identity is it gonna i mean what maybe the online digital um comes into play in the conversation it's tough. I mean, I think Swallow is a, a sort of, it is a labor of love. Um, and we are often fairly ambitious in what we try and do. The last issue, we worked with a chemist in Berlin to synthesize all the smells of Mexico City. So by doing projects like that, that are both financially and sort of, um, you know, financially ambitious as well as creative ambition, um, they take time. I mean, you, especially being an independent magazine, where you're not working, you know, with the kind of budgets you are in a mainstream magazine, to get someone's attention and time to work on a project like Swallow, you're also at the, you know, the mercy of everyone else. Um, but I, you know, I think that we'll continue to publish inconsistently, <laughs> um, and I think interesting things take time. I think I think that you know, if you if you stick to a regular a regular schedule of putting out one every six months or even you know you know it becomes hard. Mm-hmm. It really does. I think momentum, momentum is against us, but I think that the actual content works for us. So you would probably shy away from the kind of instant gratification of an online format or edition of something? Because we've seen, I guess, online platforms emerge as well in the food and beverage space in this mm-hmm. time period as well. Um, some, like you said, are no longer with us as far as the print's concerned and... Um, but I mean, Swallow but never I think it's really worth, jumped on. It's worth sort of looking us less as a magazine, even though we're called a magazine. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the sort of the inherent irony in the name is it's called Swallow Magazine, but the first two were hardbound books. I mean, we really, really are more of a book that comes out as opposed to uh, like a periodical. We're priced as much as yep. a book is as well. So I think that calling it a magazine is fair, but it's not necessarily apt, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, but as far as the online, you don't see that as a space that you really... We, I, we, we've we toyed around with it. I think that online has its inherent values, especially when it comes to film and video content. But doing those things, again, that requires time. And I think that, you know, instead of releasing something every week uh, that's just sort of mediocre video content, I'd be much more, you know, concerned with creating something of quality. Um, I also don't necessarily know if Swallow, you know, the medium... The digital medium is not necessarily right for Swallow. I'm not saying it's not right for other things, but the magazine is concerned with photography, yes. with uh, with taking your time with things, especially being like sort of central in the sense of having smells. You can't do that online. So, you know, it's... I think print media has to sort of justify itself, and if you are creating a print magazine, at least in my opinion, um, you have to have a reason for being print, which is why we try and push. We have five ink colors. We have CMYK plus a spot color, we have different smells sprayed on. We have foil, you know, foil edges and painted sides and silk screens. So by that very nature, I think that at least we've justified the, the nature of what we are, which is print. And I would say with a lot of independent, with a lot of magazines in general, the medium is sort of inconsequential. They could do what they do online as well. Another, uh, the last question I have kind of about this online presence is, um, you know, Swallow kind of, 
continues with this um, almost almost rebellious in a sense like theme in that there's really no I think there's Facebook and there's Twitter maybe there's Instagram but I'm not I'm not cool enough to be on Instagram but there is Instagram and that's you know but that ends up sort of being just some sort of personal pirated thing that I but know, it kind of built. goes against what everything would tell you that you have to have these days to be you know um, to- like topical is to have like an active social media presence and you know how do you do you have a feedback mechanism with the readers well effectively i think it depends on what your goal is um i think if your goal is to sell hundreds of thousands of magazines then then you should have that active social presence but that's never really been our goal our goal is to create sort of good content i think that we are fortunate enough that we have a really great group of readers and followers that sort of you know that really aren't the same people who read other food magazines. We sort of appeal, I think, to a sort of maybe less, but a broader audience of people who come from the creative industries, people who come from fashion, film, and all of those things. So we're not really a food magazine in a way. We're sort of a cultural magazine that uses food as its device. So by that metric, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much those people are influenced by social media. I think that the average person, you know, in mid-America might be really influenced by having a feedback session on Twitter, but I don't know how much that really applies to what we do because we're a sort of slightly more expensive, slightly more pretentious magazine. (laughs) Um, And why not... There's demand, first of all. You sell out. Absolutely, Um, yeah. So why not... Maybe you can tell, like, why don't you print more? Or um, you obviously... the nature of inconsistency you don't really have subscriptions like like again not really like that a no. magazine in that kind of sense no 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 um but i think that you know there's a supply and demand and i think that if you keep the supply low you keep the demand high and we generally sell out pretty quickly um and we've had all sorts of commercial uh, sorry uh not commercial uh we've had all sorts of accolades you know both through awards and also you know great press here and there but our goal was never to sell hundreds and hundreds of magazines, or hundreds of thousands of magazines. <laughs> Our goal was to sell magazines to the people who really believe in the project. Wonderful. Well, we are going to take a quick break. Um, uh, stay with us. I'm talking to James Casey of Swallow Magazine. Eat Your Words here on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Brianna Kurtz, and I'm speaking with James Casey, the founder and creative director of Swallow Magazine. So, James, when I I reached out to you about coming in to chat, you mentioned a sabbatical of sorts, and that you had some insights that you um, on what you love and don't love. So, I was hoping we can go there because I really don't know what that means, and and I kind of want to. And on what I love and I do love about the sabbatical? About uh, maybe. Uh, what did you say? You said, I think, food magazines. Oh, well, I mean, I think I probably just covered those in the last uh, last. Is that minutes. what you were referring to in that? Yeah, I mean, I think exchange? that I'm not, you know, I'm, I th- given the opportunity to strive to do something really different, 
I think we should all try and do it. And oftentimes there are a lot of magazines out there that I think that are just doing the same thing that we've been seeing for not just 10 years, but 20 or 30 years, you know, really beautiful. And it's not that it's unappealing to other people. It's just, you know, it's the same. Um, but no, in terms of my sabbatical, I had been working on a commercial project and just after, you know, having worked on something for the best part of a year, I think I took a little bit of a break to work on a film and a couple of other things, um, travel to Mexico. Uh, we're working on a new sister publication for Swallow, which will be very, very different to this one now, um, which I'm not going to talk about too much, but, you know, I think you'll be hearing about it soon. And I think that that's something that, whilst I'm sort of being rather circumspect and saying that Swallow doesn't need this following, I think that the project we're planning to work on will have a sort of broader appeal in some ways. How are you... I know you don't want to talk about it too much, but is there a different approach you're taking? Absolutely. Okay. Um, Absolutely. And I think that, you know, magazines and no one actually... I mean, very few people got famous... Very few people got very rich doing magazines, especially independent ones. But I think that there's a lot of interesting things that you can do alongside the publication that actually create a very vibrant sort of community as well. So there'll be a lot of experiential stuff, um, events and such, and, uh, you know, that we will sort of actively build into this next project we're working on. And as far as Swallow's concern, you know, what lessons, you know, what have you learned along the way that you're either employing now moving forward with the magazine or is each edition kind of its own animal? Uh, each edition is sort of its own animal, but I think, you know, as you go along, uh, you learn to start trusting yourself a lot more. Um, the first issue really was a complete experiment. Uh, certain things worked, certain things didn't. Uh, the second one, you've learned a little more, you know what not to do. But in our case, the second issue is so much less successful than, the other, than any of our other issues, uh, purely because I think it was set in Russia, and that just isn't, you know, to a lot of people, that compelling in terms, in, in terms of food narrative. Um, uh, the Mexico City issue was extremely successful. I think that we sort of, in the same way that we did with the Scandinavia issue, we just happened to be somewhere at, at precisely the right time. We sort of started working on the Mexico issue before Mexico City has become you know, what it is now, which mm-hmm. is sort of often referred to as the sort of Berlin of Latin America. Um, and we were really lucky in that regard. So I think you just it just comes down to learning to trust yourself a lot more, I think. Um, and the next issue, I... I mean, the East Village issue, it probably doesn't seem like the most likely thing to do, but I have a feeling that it will have a certain type of appeal and it allows us to sort of re-examine a place that I think that a lot of people have assumed is not that interesting anymore, especially here in New York. I mean, we sat here right now in Bushwick and there is a consistent argument, you know, for Brooklyn versus Manhattan. And I think to sort of draw the line in the sand on our part and do something in Manhattan, you know, is probably slightly outdated, but could be quite interesting. And as far as the... um the art direction. You've talked a lot about, um, you know, coming from fashion, coming from art. How does that play into the nature of Swallow? I mean... It, What's, like, the creative process? Or Well, as I said, we like to work with photographers who don't necessarily, associ- you know, aren't associated with food, so we're just doing an editorial right now for the next issue with uh, a photographer named Pari Dukovic, who's the New, who's New Yorker magazine star photographer. Um... We've done things in the past with uh, Wolfgang Tillmans. We've done things. We've had, you know, contemporary artists from Beijing. We've had um, people from all sort of walks of life, filmmakers, uh, painters, you know, you name it. And I think that that, you know, that sort of ties into the art direction in the sense that you sort of want to consistently be doing something new um, and not showing things in the way that sort of drop focus dishes from above all the time. Um, 
it's often interesting to show sort of non-edible things in the place of edible things. So like when we did the story on counterfeit cheeses, all the cheese was made from sponge. And I think that those are sort of aesthetically, they, you know, they come from fashion magazines too, such, you know, Irving Penn, still lives from back in the day. Um, a lot of fashion magazines have that sort of still life um, aesthetic that we've certainly cobbled from, but we're also very bright and poppy. So I think that we have this aesthetic combination between a sort of certain bright, shiny poppiness, but then also a very sort of like grainy, dark aesthetic too. So it's sort of either pretty and poppy or grungy and ugly. <laughs> That's really sort of, I think, where we, where, where we lie, you know, in, in our aesthetic. And as far as um, who you, you, you mentioned some of the artists and photographers that you work with, but when you go to a place, do you absorb local talent or is it all brought in? Do you use eyes from the outside or we do both. eyes from the inside? I mean, where, were it possible, I would probably use more outside talent and send people there because I think that there's just a little bit more of a prestige of being able to send people to different parts of the world, but obviously that's not the case. So we work with writers and photographers and artists um, both here or in other cities that we've sent to places if we get the budget to do it, or um, local talent who oftentimes, you know, you might have to art direct them a little heavier because it might be sort of out of the aesthetic and it's harder to do, you know, from abroad, from a desk in New York, but, you know, just to make sure that it sort of comes within line of the swallow aesthetic. But yeah, I think that the that balance is really important. It's important to have an outsider's opinion, and it's also important to have an inside opinion. And if you had, but if you had only one of the two, it wouldn't be that interesting. So you're going to bring writers into the East Village from? Well, we have we have one who's from LA, um, who used to live in New York, and is sort of writing a uh, a piece about Tenth Street, which should be exciting. Um, I'm trying to think what else we no, have. It's okay. I was kind of, but yes, <laughs> I was kind of playing devil's advocate. So how being that, um, you know, Swallow, I think it is kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's escaping me, but how is it funded, um, essentially? Like the first, the very first edition. The first edition was funded, uh, we, whilst I was working on it, I had uh, started a project with Royal Copenhagen, which is a Danish uh, porcelain company. Mm. And they were extremely interested in using it as a way to sort of rebrand themselves because they were feeling that their aesthetic in the U.S. was sort of, you know, something that grandmothers would buy. Um, so we had talked about effectively doing an ad for them that we would art direct uh, that would run not just in Swallow but in other publications. Uh, so through that, we funded the first issue. Basically, Royal Copenhagen funded the first issue. Um, and then for the second issue, Royal Copenhagen and Meissen Porcelain effectively funded it, not just in form of advertising but in terms of creative direction mm -hmm. as well. And then the third issue, we collaborated with IFF, which is International Flavors and Fragrances. So they mm -hmm. helped to uh, support the cost of the smells that we did. Um, and then also the Mexican Cultural Institute contributed a little bit of a grant there, and the Humex Foundation for Mexico also did as well. So in those situations, it's been funded through other organizations, but that don't necessarily have any... I mean, not, they don't have any stake in the editorial that we do whatsoever. I mean, I think that we're very clear about that. But when it's brands or associations that we sort of agree with or wouldn't be ashamed to put in the magazine, there's no problem, at least on my part, of uh, you know collaborating with them. Okay. I was always just wondering, because I know that um, some of the smaller independent food magazines, you know, it's, it's a big resource is a, is a challenge sometimes. So Absolutely. And, you know, I think maybe... 
Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I, I, some of the some of the brands that they choose to collaborate with, I don't think would necessarily be the brands that we collaborate with. Um, but yeah, I think that, that that's always a challenge for an independent magazine is to work at how to fund yourself. And I think especially the type of production values that we have in producing each one of our issues. I mean, they're not they're, they're fairly you know significant costs. Mm-hmm. You need to pr- keep that editorial. Um power kind of close to the chest and not turn mm-hmm. that over to any kind of um, advertisers or um, funders. So um, kind of taking another direction, just kind of uh, relaxing a little bit. What is your favorite cuisine? One of them. I've got to change this day to day. What about today? We're lucky enough to live in New York where <laughs> we have access to most of them. Um, I would say Asian, Asian food in general um, depends on the day and how specific. Japanese food is certainly one of my favorite cuisines, but I grew up in Hong Kong, so certain elements of Chinese food are very, very, very dear to my heart. But well, then, you know, I just spent the last two weeks in France, so <laughs> I would say that, you know, French cuisine, you know, at its sort of heart is one of the things I love the most. Um, and what maybe favorite places to eat in New York? Maybe favorite Japanese places to eat in New York? My favorite Japanese place, oh, there's a sushi restaurant called Ushi Wakamaru, yeah. which is quite good. Um, there's another really wonderful hidden Japanese restaurant up in Tudor City, which is really good, um, which sort of feels like a time walk back to 1980s Tokyo. Um, but I would say absolutely my favorite restaurant in New York is Estella. Interesting. Without, um, without hesitation, I can say that. It's fantastic. I, I agree. So um, what about non-food mags or non-food reading? What do you like to hit up? I mean, I hit the New York's New York Magazine or New York Times. I read um, New Yorker pretty religiously. I read New York Magazine uh, pretty religiously, too. Um, I read a lot of film uh, theory, um, sight and sound, um, National Geographic. I don't really read any food magazines whatsoever. I like Severa, actually. Mm-hmm. I think Severa is a fantastic magazine, especially when they do their travel issues. Books at all, ever? Do I read books? Yeah, I'm <laughs> a lot. Um, what am I reading? I'm reading uh, My Struggle right now. Um, Hans Naus Overgaard, I, I believe is his name, which is a sort of smashed Norwegian book that's in six volumes. I think it's in total two What volume are you on? Two. Okay. Um, I'm reading Luis Bunuel's memoirs. Um, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> That's omni- a lot. I'm pretty omnivorous when it comes to reading. Between the all the New Yorkers and all the books. So, um, well, James, thank you so much for coming in to talk to us. We My are um, about out of time. So, everyone, you can check out Swallow Magazine online at swallowmagazine.com. Be uh, be sure to comb through the menu. I really love that section. I feel like I my vocabulary expands. 20 times over because I click on those words and like I don't know what any of these words are oh, um, yeah, unfortunately our website's slightly out of date so if you would like to keep up slightly more to date um, the Instagram account uh, is fairly frequent although it's somewhat personal uh, what's pictures. the handle? Uh, Swallow Magazine Swallow Mag- um, right. and we have a Twitter account that is uh, intermittently uh, updated okay but um, I do the menu I just it's very encyclopedic I love the uh that was the, the idea. nature of That's it. The, the, the web company we worked with, Chips uh, NYC, are pretty fantastic, and they uh, came up with that fantastic idea for us. Awesome. Well, that's all for Eat Your Words today. Kathy Airway will be back 
in the beginning of September. Um, and the show is actually moving to Sundays at 1 p.m., so check it out. I'm really excited she's going to be back because there are tons of juicy fall releases that Kathy will be diving into. So see you then. Peace. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 non-profit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Like this,